Well, good morning, everybody. We're going to be starting a short series um, in looking at wisdom, particularly uh, looking at Proverbs and how that speaks wisdom to us. I might rightly say so. We're going to be looking at being wise. Um, However, we won't spend a lot of time in Proverbs itself. We'll uh, use that um, in our subsequent weeks when we look at Proverbs in detail. But I just want to talk to you about being wise, about being wise. We all want to be happy. That's one thing I think that unites us all. We want to be happy. We want to live in a world where things just work out right. A world in which we all thrive and we all flourish. You know, why do we vote for a particular party at a general election if it's not about wanting them to make our world and our lives a better place? You know, we hope that they will pass dis- uh, laws, make decisions that will benefit all of society. We want them to raise living standards, see an end to poverty, make our streets safer, put right inequality. But don't we just end up in a cycle of voting in someone new because the last lot didn't do what they hoped for. See, Trump and Hillary are going to continue battling it out for that top job in the US. And they're both promising a better life. (coughs) A better life for the citizens of America. But, But they have a different understanding of how they're going to do it and how they're going to go about it. So Trump would say this. He would temporarily ban all Muslims from entering the United States. He would build a long wall along the border of Mexico and make them pay for it. He wants to get rid of Obamacare and replace it with something terrific. He wants to strengthen the military so that it's so big and so strong and so great that nobody's going to want to mess with us. He claims that he will be the greatest jobs president that God ever created. Trump says that cities like Reno and Nevada will be a big, fat, beautiful beneficiary of these new jobs. Well, that's the wisdom of Donald Trump and how he sees a prosperous and happy USA. Yet decisions that impact on our happiness and well-being and not just for the government and not just for presidents alone. See, daily choices in our own lives, whether we're single, whether we have a family around us, whether we're unemployed, retired or have a job, there are decisions we make and things that we choose to do that determines the likelihood of whether we'll live contented lives or not. See, a long while ago, uh, my family looked up what the Chandler coat of arms is. And on that coat of arms are inscribed these words, Pax a copia. Now, anybody does a bit of Latin? Good. Well, I pronounced that right, and it means peace and plenty. And I like that. I like the idea of peace and plenty. Then, like the failures that we see on a national level, also happens on a personal level. 
We mess things up far too often. Doing stuff that not only doesn't bring in the good life, but a lot of the time helps the opposite to happen. You know, why do I wind my kids up when I know how it will end? See, we all have our own ideas as to what we need to do to lead a fulfilled and happy life. Trump has his own. You have your own. But to look around us, in the news, in our homes, and in our individual lives, we see that we often don't get it right. See, the secret to a better life is not found in a formula. And it doesn't come from within. Despite what Oprah Winfrey might tell you, it in fact comes from God. It is living with godly wisdom that will bring about that happy and contented life. Do you want to know what that actually looks like? Well, unfortunately, we don't have any contemporary examples to look at. But there is one in the Old Testament concerning Solomon, a king of Israel. So if you do have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Kings 10. It's on page uh, 348 of the Church Bibles. If you'd like a Church Bible, just stick your hand up in the air. Page 348. Now I'll be reading from the ESV version, so it might be slightly different to to yours, but um, they're pretty much the same. So here we have the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, and we pick it up at the point where she speaks to him. Verse 6 of 1 Kings 10. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. She is literally blown away by what she saw. Put yourself in the Sheba shoes. Imagine turning up expecting to be disappointed because the reports just seemed too far-fetched and then discovering not only was the report true, but they were far too conservative. She was totally stunned. It said that she had no breath left in her when she saw the prosperity and wisdom of his people. She exclaimed, Happy! Happy are your servants! Happy are your men! It's not a surprise that that is the case. Who wouldn't be in a land like that? Doesn't it sound such a great place to be? Happy. Blessed. It took her breath away. Who here wouldn't want to be part of that? 
Do you want that? You know, only a fool would say no. So what does this wisdom look like that ends up in a place such as this? Well, Solomon became king of Israel about 970 years before Christ even turned up on earth. But before he began to reign, he had a few, I would say, confidence issues. See, now it says that Solomon actually loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of his father. Yet he felt that he lacked one important characteristic. See, Solomon confessed before God that he felt like a child, lacking wisdom, experience and understanding. He felt he was too naive, too wet behind the ears. So when God asked him what he would like, he answered, and this is from 2 Chronicles, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? And in an equivalent passage in 1 Kings, he says this, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? He asked for chukmah, which is a Hebrew word meaning wisdom. Wisdom meant having an understanding mind. But what does that mean? What does having an understanding mind mean? Well, the word translated understanding has a kind of a fuller meaning. And it encompasses hearing and listening. Not just a passive listening, but actually taking it in. It also has a sense of putting into practice what you have been taught. He wants an understanding mind. See, again, we lose a little bit of, uh, in the translation. Mind doesn't refer to the grey matter in your skull between your, your ears, but instead to the heart or the soul of the man. You see, wisdom is not, the ins- uh, not the same as intelligence. Solomon didn't ask God to send him on a leader's training course. He asked for something so much more deeper and much more personal. He was asking for his soul to be reshaped. He recognized that he needed to be taught, and to be taught needed him to be teachable. He had to be humble because he recognized that he wasn't wise. That he was like a child compared to what was required for the task that was given him. And he wanted an understanding mind so that he may discern between good and evil. See, wisdom is not about applying a formula making decisions based solely on cold reason. See, it's concerned with knowing the difference between good and evil. Being wise is grounded on morality, making decisions based on what is right and what is wrong. 
See, wisdom is a position that is always learning, always listening. It is about putting that knowledge of right or wrong into practice in a skilled, craftsman-like manner. Just as a carpenter would know how to navigate or avoid a knot in the wood, or to use a different chisel to get a certain angle or curve. And I'm not making that up because the word chukmah itself is used elsewhere in scripture to describe that very thing, a skilled craftsman. So not only is it translated wisdom, but it's also translated skilled craftsman. And so too does the handling of knowledge and understanding require skill. And we see Solomon expertly handling wisdom and understanding when two women were brought before him, both claiming that they were the mother of this one baby boy. You can read about that in 1 Kings 3. See, King Solomon asked for a sword, and with it he said that he would divide the baby in two so that both could have half each to end the squabble. Well, the one who was telling the truth, the real mother, obviously didn't want her son to die, and so was willing to hand the child over for him to live. Solomon knew who the real man was, and he was able to do what was right. This is godly wisdom, and everyone knew it. Having established a great kingdom, and that's probably an understatement, through the wisdom of God, Solomon knew it was of critical importance that for a kingdom like this to continue, he'd have to pass on what he had learnt. And it's likely that one of the reasons for Solomon to write the book of Proverbs was to preserve this happy kingdom. Wisdom was the key to justice, righteousness, and happiness. And this is what we see in the beginning of Proverbs. Before we get to the proverb Proverbs, which start in earnest in chapter 10, we have in chapters 1 to 9, a father who is appealing to his son, a king to his prince, to hear his words and instructions. You see, you hear the father mostly speaking of the temptations and dangers of wandering away from God, warning him against things that would entice him. See, he appealed to his son in chapter 4. He said this, Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. He is pleading for his son to take this seriously. It is the most precious thing. And it's not only is it precious for his son, but it is precious for us as well. For in James, in his letter in the New Testament, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Yet our definition of wisdom up to this point has been lacking something. See, the opening verses of the book of Proverbs sets out one thing 
that gives foundation to all godly wisdom. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to page 635, which is the beginning of Proverbs. We'll look at Proverbs verses 1 to 7 together. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb, which will follow, and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we are to have any hope of living our lives together where justice is seen to be done, where we have a true understanding about ourselves and the world and how the world works and how to handle ourselves in the world, there is one thing that we must, we absolutely must recognize, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this truth is repeated many times in scriptures, in Proverbs 9. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In the book of Job, another wisdom book of the Old Testament, says this, And he said to the man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And turn away from evil is understanding. Psalm 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, who practice it, notice that, have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord. See, the fear of the Lord is a right response to the existence and truth of the Creator God. Awesome in power. Burning in holiness and glorious in righteousness. It is to know our position before him. That we are his workmanship. We were created by him and for him. That this is his world and we exist only by his grace so that we may glorify him. It is to know that we are finite. We have limits. We do not know everything. And so we can't even begin to assume the position that God has. It is to know that it is only by grace that prevents us being burnt up by his holiness and damned by his righteousness. That is the fear of God. Yet godly wisdom is not just for us, but comes from him. It is a characteristic of God's very nature. And it hasn't remained in heaven. He has shown his wisdom to us in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, 
and the cross on which he died embodies that wisdom. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And where will this wisdom lead? Following on in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you with a testimony of God, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God and the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, thank you, Trump, who are doomed to pass away. But we, are in, we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That is where wisdom is leading. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has conceived, can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, if you thought the description of Solomon's kingdom was impressive and appealing, then what will you think of the one who said of himself, the queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That is Jesus Christ. You know, the purpose of wisdom, the end goal of godly wisdom, is for the flourishing and rehumanizing of humanity. That we may live in a world where there is peace, justice, life, abundance, and happiness. You cannot imagine. We don't have the capacity to comprehend the life in the kingdom of God to be fully realized in the future when Jesus returns. A kingdom with Christ, the wisdom of God, reigning over all things as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
A kingdom in which God, who is love, is ours to enjoy completely. For those who have put their trust in Jesus, he has become your wisdom. And so the demand on our lives is to live with integrity as citizens of this kingdom. Inaugurated, but not yet fully realized. We are to live in this world, this way. From Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Be wise, not in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This should penetrate every part, every nook and every cranny, every situation and place, every conversation and act. This is why Solomon brings together so many proverbs that gives godly wisdom to virtually every area of life. From marriages to to work to friendships, drinking, parenting, anger, loaning, lending, borrowing. And we have been given Christ's spirit of wisdom to allow this to happen. God's spirit has been promised to all who believe. So we need to make ourselves available to him to bring light to the word and the wisdom to apply it. For those of you who haven't given your life to Jesus, you who who do not fear the Lord, then perhaps today is the day in which you should seek knowledge of him. If you want to know that your life and future, a happiness and contentment that your heart cannot imagine, a life with God, then come and speak to me or, or Mike or the person that you came to and we'll be so happy to answer your questions. And to pray with you, if that's what you want. The message for everyone, get wisdom. Always be listening and learning. Know him. Get your head and heart stuck into his word. Live out that truth of God in Christ like a skilled craftsman in fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. Amen. Amen.